Perry sent this one. It's like, you just put your finger on it. Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. They trying to keep the cannabis about the legal system. Money to be made. Keep your fingers out the treasure chest. Look, but don't touch Today for our message, um, we are going to be in John chapter 12. I had contemplated writing a whole new message about fear or about victory or about anything like that. But I thought, I don't want to lean so far into all of this. That I want what we're doing to be what we're doing. And we don't just change what we're doing because of whatever. But we, we were in the middle of a, of a series called For the Love of Money. And, and I didn't want to just move on and talk about something else because it would be good to talk about something else. But I wanted to, to continue because life continues and we continue. And, and we believe that God has led us to this place and that I'm not going to just walk away because maybe he's led us to somewhere else. But, but we're going to trust and believe in God. What we're talking about when it comes to this, this sermon series, is we're endeavor, endeavoring to tackle the topic of money, maybe not in a different way, but in a bit of a different light. The Bible doesn't teach that money is bad. The Bible specifically and, impor and importantly teaches that the love of money is bad. When money consumes your life. And, and last week, we, what we talked about was we talked about how we wanted to take some time to not look at what the Bible says about money, but to talk more about some principles that the Bible gives us and then allowing that to inform how we see our money. That somehow the message the Bible gives about money isn't somehow different than the message that it gives about anything else. That, that somehow, oh, well, we need to, to look at this ex 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 sec sec different section of Scripture because that's really what the Bible says about money. But when we look at the principles that the Bible gives us about everything, that's what it says, it says about money. And, and what can happen is, is we can sometimes find ourselves as a church, as people in the church, living in a place of a bit of confusion and a bit of, of almost like a self-imposed silence when it comes to money. Because we're not entirely sure how to address it or there's this place of awkwardness that comes up when it comes to money. Like maybe you subscribe to the Dave Ramsey podcast, but you don't always listen to it. Because like, it feels good to at least subscribe. To, I'm doing something. I subscribe to Dave Ramsey's podcast. I don't really listen to it, but I subscribe to it. And that makes me feel better. But we have this awkward tension of, as Christians, what do we do with our money? And, and as the church, how often do we preach about money? But, but what we're endeavoring to see here is, is that every Sunday when we preach, you can take those principles and, and look at what it has to say about money. Last week we talked about this tension or the struggle that we can have inside of our relationship with God and, and really trusting him that sometimes we can allow this sense of unbelief to creep into our lives and our thoughts and, and our theology where we start to live from a place of doubt or fear or unbelief of God working in our lives and, and we can end up having faith for some things 
but we can live our lives like God isn't actually going to do some things. That God isn't actually going to perform a miracle when I pray. I pray out of duty and I pray out of responsibility, but really, I'm praying because you asked me to. That, that God really isn't going to work in my neighbor's life. That even if I invite them to church, they're going to say no. And even if they come to church, they're going to hate it. And, and they're not going to come to Jesus, so I'm not even going to ask. But, but having an understanding that, that we can trust God with these things and how that even leads into my finances, that God isn't going to work inside of my finances. And we looked at this moment where the disciples had stopped living like Jesus was alive. This moment in Mark chapter 16, where the disciples had chosen to, to have a hard heart or allowed their hearts to become hard, and they'd become living in unbelief, and Jesus comes in, and he corrects them, and he says, you guys need to start living like I'm alive. And then he tells them to go and do that. And that's where we get the Great Commission in Mark, where Jesus says, go into all the world. And we saw that God wants us to walk out of our reclining, hard-hearted belief and go live for him like he's alive in every area of our lives. That we serve a God who's alive. And so whether it be finances or whether it be evangelism or whether it be a belief in a miracle, whatever the area of your life is where you would say, I don't know if God can, we need to start living like God can. Because he can. Now this week, I don't want to talk more about why we don't live sometimes like the way we should. That's, that's not where I want to camp out and that's not where I want to live. I want to live looking at what does it look like to follow Jesus. And so today I want to talk about what it looks like when we live like we have a God who's alive. And in John chapter 12, we get this incredible picture of what it looks like when we live our lives like we have a God who's alive. What it looks like when our love for Jesus is what motivates us when it comes to all of our stuff and a picture of sometimes how stuff can get in the way of our love for Jesus. But in John chapter 12, verse 1, it starts out like this. Six days later before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now I want to stop here for a moment. If, if you're new to church, or if you're new to, to belief, or if you're new to Christianity, or if you're here today, if you're watching online, and, and that sentence just stood out to you, I want to stop here for a moment because I want to tell you this is a thing. I don't just stand up here and talk about a God who used to do amazing things. I, but I talk about a God who can and does do amazing things. A God who can raise things from the dead. A God who can raise your marriage from the dead. A God who can raise your finances from the dead. A God who can raise your life from the dead. A God who can heal you. This is the God that we serve. I don't want us, I don't want me, and I don't want you to read a verse like that and think, wow, isn't it amazing that God used to do that? Isn't it amazing that in the Bible times, God used to do stuff like that? That is so remarkable. No, that is so amazing for us right now. That this, this is where we live right now. This is the God we serve right now. This should fire you up a little bit. This should get you, this should maybe prompt you to say amen. Because this is, this is exciting. This is the God who we serve. We don't just serve a God who used to do stuff like this. 
We serve a God who does stuff like this. We have it written on the side of the wall. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that we just read about, who just casually was at a friend's house, whom he had raised from the dead, he can do that in your life today. He can raise you. He can raise our lives. He can raise things from the dead. Verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Let that be a lesson to you. You raise somebody from, dead, from the dead, they'll throw a dinner in your name. Now Martha served. Of course she did. That's who she is, that's what she did. That's a, a good Bible joke if you're aware. Martha served. While Lazarus was, Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, I just wanted to, to bring some context to this because this sounds very weird to us. But actually, culturally, this is more normal than you might think that it was. In our world, I have never seen this, and I don't expect to see this. I, don't, I, I have never seen somebody wash somebody's feet when they came to their house. And I've certainly never seen it happen where they dried it with their hair. And I don't anticipate needing to see that. And in fact, if we come to your house, please don't do that. <laughs> you can have your customs, and I believe in your customs, and all of those things. You don't need to do that with me. But in this world, when you entered somebody's home, your feet were probably a mess. It's dusty, it's dirty, you're probably not wearing the best pair of shoes, so your feet are dusty and dirty, and so what would happen is if, that you were able to, you would have a servant who would, as the people entered their home, they would clean their feet for them, and they would dry their feet with their hair. The reason for this, towels aren't free, and they're pretty expensive, and they run out. But your servant's hair, free and common. You know, that, that was the practicality. You, as long as you didn't cut your hair, you had a towel attached to your head was the way that they looked at it. So, so even in Mary, or in, in Mary doing this, it was a symbol of, of her servanthood to Jesus. But back to the verses. And, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But just a little piece of advice here. When you're reading the Bible, and, and I pray that you are, I pray that, that you do read the Bible, always notice buts. The buts in the Bible will always lead you to cues and moments, to, to see the fulfillment of the things of God, to understand key and crucial moments. So as we read the but here, it gets our attention because something's about to happen. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the, for the days of my burial. Now, it's actually really interesting, and we're not going to get into this all right now, but 
according to Jewish custom, the way that Jesus was killed and the day he was killed on and him being taken down off the cross, he, he wasn't properly prepared for burial, except that he was. By Mary washing his feet here. That, that when we looked at, at the story of Jesus, had this not happened, Jesus' burial would not have been according to custom and would not have been done properly. But because Mary washes his feet here, he's, they were able to fulfill all of the Jewish law in his burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. That's messed up. Like, that's cold. He's just been raised from the dead. It's been a month. And, and the response to him being raised from the dead is, we need to kill that guy. That's rough. That, like, that is a harsh reality to live inside. For on, one or for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and still believing in him. What I want to draw out for you from the text today is that there's two spirits at work inside this story. There's a spirit of generosity that Mary had and a spirit of reluctance that Judas had. Now, Judas was, was running deeper than just reluctance. He wanted to steal the money, and, and I don't think that that's your story, but I think the picture that we can take away from this is, is the reluctance that, that, that we were able to see. And I think these two kinds of spirits are in us and in this room when it comes to our stuff and to God, when it comes to our time, when it comes to our talents, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our gifts, we will either use them from a place of generosity or we'll use them from a place of reluctance when it comes to using them. Now, now let's look at this for a minute. Mary poured out this perfume made of nard. I have no earthly idea what nard is. Full stop. I really hope, though, that it smells good. I really, really hope that it smells good because how much was it worth? A year's wages. What's your wage? How much do you make in a year? $20,000? dollars $30,000? $60,000? $150,000? $500,000? The median income in Alberta is about $70,000. What's your wage? Now, take whatever that amount is, put it all inside a jar, and pour it out on somebody's feet. Who does that? Who, what does that even look? But that's what Mary does. This bottle of nard, whatever nard is, is worth an entire year's wages, and she just pours it out. Now, I think about that, and I assume you think about that, and we think to ourselves, no way. I, I could not do that. We, my family could not do that. We, it wouldn't make sense for us to be able to do that. It would be stupid to, if we were even able to get together a year's wages to do that with it. But in this moment, Mary's heart was overflowing with generosity. 
In this moment, we see this just incredible, overwhelming picture of generosity that when we put it into our terms, we can't fathom it. That we can read through a verse like that that says it was worth a year's wages and just keep going. But if we stop and think about what that was, whoa! I can't even begin to understand how that works. I sure hope it was Mary's, by the way. That she didn't borrow Martha's. <laughs> Look what I've done for you. Um, but also in this moment... There is this other spirit. There's this other thought process that's taking place. And it may be hard for us to identify with the generosity, but this thought process may ring a little more true in our lives. Judas, when he sees what's happening, he, he shares that he has a problem with it. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. The money that that perfume represented could have done so much more than just get dumped out on some guy's feet. Think of all the good that could have been done with that money. Think of all that could have been done. And now, it's gone. Sure, the room smells nice, but that's about, hopefully, but that's about it. And, and here's the thing. Judas is right. Full stop. That money, that perfume could have been sold. And that money could have been given to the poor. And it would have done a lot of good. Judas is right. Do you know how much money or how much the Airdrie Food Bank could do if we all did that? If, if on Monday morning we all drove over to the Airdrie Food Bank and each one of us donated a year's worth of wages to the Airdrie Food Bank, a lot of good could have been done with it. It's not somehow deceiving or wrong or deceitful when Judas says this is what could have been done. He's right. This is what could have happened. And this is what we need to understand about the trick and the tactics of the enemy. He doesn't come to you with be selfish. He doesn't come to us with like, well, you can't give that because you're a jerk. He doesn't come with, you can't give that because you need to keep it to yourself. He doesn't come to you with that kind of thing. He comes to you with something that's true, but misses the point. Judas was right, but he missed the point. You can't afford to give up that kind of time. You're already so tired. You can't afford to do that for the church. Think of all you could get done in your own life, in your own house instead. You can't afford to give that kind of money to the church, even though God promised he would provide for us, because things are tight already. Do you know what you could do with that money instead? Do you know what your family could do with that money? You see, for most of us, for pretty well all of us, a spirit of reluctance doesn't come in the form of the unjustifiable. It doesn't come in the form of, of, of just pure reluctance. Just, just don't do it. It comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing. It comes presenting itself to be true. It, it comes presenting itself in a way that makes sense. It's right. It makes sense. And it misses the point. Because Jesus wants you to be generous. 
Hear this this morning, church. God didn't put his image in us for us to represent him with reluctant hearts. God didn't put his spirit in us for us to be reluctant. But I think during the sanctification process, we always need to be finding and rooting out in our lives the places where we are reluctant with God. And all this... Actually, before, before I move on. Now, what I don't want to say is that there's never a reason that you shouldn't do something. That whatever somebody asks, you have to say yes. Otherwise, I'm living from reluctance. No. That's, that's not at all true. Personal boundaries are important. Being able to say no to things that are unhealthy are important. Having time to rest is important. Having time to recover is important. Having enough money to pay your mortgage is important. Having the ability to, to discern what I should and what I shouldn't do is incredibly important. It's life-giving, and it's the only way that we can succeed in our life with God and in our life in general. But what we need to do, what we need to be careful of, is inside of our relationship with God to make sure that we're not doing things for the right reasons. To make sure that we're not, that I'm, I'm not just choosing to not do this because I don't have faith. That I'm not going to talk to my neighbor about Jesus because I don't believe he's going to do anything. That's not why we should say no. That I'm not going to tithe because I don't know if God can trust, I can trust God with my money. Then, then we're starting to draw lines that shouldn't be there. It's important that every time the church says we need volunteers to do this, that you're not saying yes. It's crucially important that that's true. Because that, then you'll be burnt out. You'll, you'll do something amazing for that, and then you'll die. And so it's important to understand what God has called us to do and what God hasn't called us to do. And the things that God has called us to do, we need to walk in those things. But God hasn't called you to everything. And what it all comes down to is our view of God. That we see God as generous. That he can protect us. That he can guide us. That he wants what's best for us. And more than that, he knows what's best for us. And that if we know that he knows what's best for us, that the things that he's asked us to do will actually lead to what's best for us. That if we believe that God knows what's best for me, so then God has asked me to do these things, that we don't then go, well, now hold on a minute. I know that you know what's best for me, and I know you've asked me to do this, but, but God, I don't think this is for the best. That we can't, we can't live there. If we know that God wants what's best for us, and we know that God has asked us to do this, then we know that whatever it is, even if on the surface it appears like sacrifice, on the surface it appears like, I don't know. We know that God wants what's best for us. So when we look at what God has called us to do, when we, when we look at what God has called us to give, when we can read, when we read that God has called us to give part of our finances to the church, do we really believe that God wants what's best for us? That he knows that this is what's best for us. And by doing this, by listening to what God says, it will lead us to the best possible places. 
That that's the through line of all of that thinking. That, that if I know that God wants what's best for me, that God knows what's best for me, and that God wants to work out his best in my life, and one of the things that he's called me to do is to share in my, my finances with the church, then somehow sharing in my finances with the church is going to lead to what's best for me. But it's really easy to not make that connection. Because sometimes we have to give out of our sacrifice. Sometimes we just think, well, if at the end of the month I just had 10% laying around with nothing to do, yeah, I could tithe on that. That would be no problem. But that's not always where we get to live from. Sometimes when God pokes us in the right places, it hurts. When, when God pokes us in our wallet, it hurts. When God pokes us in our calendar, it can hurt. When God pokes us in our to-do list, it can hurt. And it hurts us just a little bit or maybe a lot. And suddenly we become not so sure anymore that God knows what's best for me. That I believed it until God called me to do this. Now I'm not so sure he knows me. Now I'm not so sure that, that he wants what's best for me. Now, one of the things that we talked about last week, and that's still very true about this week, is that we are not just talking about finances. Now, you may hear in this, well, he's just talking about finances. But it's so much more than that. God wants us to be generous with our life. God wants us to be generous with our talents. God wants us to be generous with our skills. God wants us to be generous with our words. Could you imagine the power of just sending somebody a really nice text message? Just cuz? Just cuz? Not looking for something, not preempted by anything, but just a text message. It says, hey Barb, so nice to see you at church today. Hope you have a great day. And that's it, be generous with our words. We, we live in a dark enough world. We live in a world where people are so vocal about what's wrong. We live in criticism enough. Imagine if we were just generous with our words, with the world around us. Imagine if we were just generous with the kindness of words to just speak life and love into each other's lives. To just say, hey, you know, I really like you. That's all. Have a good day. If we, if we were just generous with each other, generous with our toilet paper. <laughs> Share. We had somebody give, donate some toilet paper to the church. If, you're if you need toilet paper, if you can't find any, let me know. I will deliver it to your house. We've, we've been given. But imagine if for a moment... We took the small things in our lives and we were just generous with them. We were generous with our words, generous with our kindness, generous with our generousness, generousness with, generous with our love, generous with each other. To, to be able to say to somebody, here, let me do that for you. Let me give this to you. Let me, let me tell you how nice you look today. Just generous. It's so much more than just finances. 
to be sure it is about finances, it is. And no matter what you may be thinking, finances are included. But it's so much more than that. And this is why grow track that we offer at church matters so much. This is why getting involved matters. There is so much talent in this church. You are so talented and you are so gifted. There is so much talent in this church that isn't being used right now. There's so much talent sitting on the sidelines. God has called us to be generous with our money, but God has called us to be generous with ourselves. And there are some who are sitting on the sidelines because where on the, where the sidelines is where they need to be. They need a rest. They need a break. They're, they're tired. They're worn out. And Jesus took rest and Jesus took breaks, so we need to do that as well. But there are some who are on the sidelines that really could be in the game. And we want to see us walking in that. There are kids in our church who need your love. There are people walking through the doors for the very first time that need your smile. There are people here who need your help to make all of the lights and the sound happen so they can see and sing. You are so talented. Be generous with your talents. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your gifts. Be generous with your money. A large, vast majority percentage of Christians do not give to the church. And even fewer give God his 10%. Now, if you're new to church, and this idea of giving to the church that we're talking about, it's called our tithe. And it means 40 to 50%. <laughs> it's a loose number. Right. Tithe, literally translated, means 10%. God has called us to give back to him 10% of our income. And statistically... So few people actually do this. And it's one of my greatest grieving moments as a pastor. And it has nothing to do with the money that isn't coming in. It has nothing to do with a bigger budget. It has nothing to do with meeting a budget. It has nothing to do with budgets, buildings, or any other thing like that that you want to say. That's not where my heart is. That's not my fantasy. That's not my dream. What grieves me is that I want to see freedom in our lives. Jesus died on the cross so we can live in freedom. Scripture will say, whom the Son sets free is free. And we can walk in freedom. And that means freedom in all of our lives. That's bondage to addiction. That's bondage to money. That's bondage to reluctance. I want you to be free. And included in that, and really for many of us, the last stronghold of bondage in our lives is that we need to see freedom in our finances by giving them to God. I want you to walk and live in freedom. I don't want you to be held captive in fear. I don't want you to be held captive in fear of the coronavirus, and I don't want you to live scared about your finances. But I want us to be able to walk in freedom from fear and freedom from bondage. I want us to close by jumping back into the story of Mary and Jesus from John chapter 12. 
And I want to highlight just for you a little bit what happened in, in the, the, the chapter before, John 11. John 11 is all about Jesus and Lazarus. A month, a month before this dinner, so, so one month before this dinner takes place, Lazarus got really sick and he died. Now, there's so much to this story that we are not going to get into right now. But long story short, Jesus shows up after Lazarus is dead and had been buried for a few days. Jesus has the stone rolled back and he stands at the entryway of the tomb and he yells in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And then he did. With his... Lazarus comes back to life and he walks out of the tomb. Now one month later, we come to John chapter 12. You see, Mary, who poured the perfume out, she was Lazarus' sister. That, that, Lazarus was her brother. Her brother had died. And according to, to, to the tradition and, and what probably took place in the time, they didn't have funeral homes like we, did now, like we do now. The family took care of all of that kind of stuff. So she had probably been walking through the death of her brother, helping to prepare the body for death, helping to, to wrap him, helping to, helping to embalm, helping, helping to place him in the tomb and roll the stone in front of it. She had been a part of this, had been walking through this. Now one month later, he's sitting at the table eating dinner. She had walked through this, the death of her brother. She had mourned and grieved. And then we come to this moment one month later and Mary is standing there at dinner watching her dead brother who's now alive leaning back in his chair, sharing a meal with his family, with the man who had raised him from the dead. Mary had buried her brother one month later, she's watching him eat. Mary takes a moment watching what's happening. She watches and she's so overcome with joy and gratefulness. And she takes, presumably, what is probably her most valuable and valued possession a perfume worth a year's wages, and begins to pour it out on the feet of the man who raised her brother from the dead, on the feet of her God. It's a moment of gratitude. It's a moment of worship. It's a moment of her heart, not breaking, but exploding because of the, the immensity of this moment. Her dead brother is there. How is this even possible? Not because she wants to waste it. Not because this perfume or the money from it couldn't be used for something better. But because her heart is so overflowing with gratitude and gratefulness in this overwhelming moment of watching, seeing her dead brother alive. You see, the moment that we allow ourselves to be overcome with the overwhelming sense of gratitude and gratefulness is the moment when all of our reluctance begins to fade away. Is the moment where all the reasons we can't 
are suddenly pulled back into perspective. And a heart of generosity towards God is born. See, a generous heart comes from a grateful heart. That as we sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a for This is my story. This is my song. This is who I am. And when that begins to run down from our mouth and begins to touch every area of our lives, suddenly we see what we can or we can't do, what we should or we shouldn't do in this different light because our heart becomes so full with generosity that we're just looking for something that we can give over to Jesus. Your gifts, your talents, your joy, your finance, you realize he is worth it all. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of everything. So what I want to encourage us with this morning, what I want to encourage you with this morning, as we talked about last week, the disciples had come to this place after Jesus had died where they had resigned themselves to the death of their Savior. When Jesus shows up, and it says he rebukes them for it, and he calls them to go and live like he's alive. And what I want us to take away is when we live for a God who's alive, we live because our God is alive. And that fills our hearts with generosity. Because we're so grateful because we know what Jesus did on the cross. We know what he did for us. And so we don't give because the Bible says we need to. We don't give because we're supposed to. We don't give because if we don't, then I don't know what Brad knows and Brad doesn't know and I don't want him to think I'm bad. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know who does and I don't know who doesn't. I don't know anything. I just know the statistics and so that's where we're talking from this morning. I didn't do the math before the service and go through a checklist to see who does and who doesn't. Just statistics. We give everything that we have because he's worthy of it all. We, we sang that this morning. We sang, God, you are worthy of it all. Sometimes we can be tempted to sing that with our butt sticking out a little bit because we want our wallet to be as far away from our mouth as it can be when we're singing. God, you are worthy of it all, but everything from here forward. I don't need your money. I don't want your money. I want you to walk in freedom from money. And what God has called us to do in order to live in freedom from money is to hand some of it over to him. I heard it described like this. And I'll close with this. God has called you to work on commission. He, he's given you a life. He's given you breath. He's given you bones. He's given you a purpose. He's given you everything that you have in your life. And he wants you to just work on commission. Give him back his 10%, and you get to keep everything else. You get to keep the bones. You get to keep, well, I was going to say the hair, but <laughs> some of us, that's not as true for. But God has called us to walk in freedom. And freedom looks like holding nothing back. And so this morning, what I don't want you to hear in any of this is if you don't tithe, that somehow 
or you haven't been tithing, that somehow I think less of you, that somehow I think you're flawed, that somehow I think, well, if you were a real Christian or if you were a real part of our church or if you were a real whatever, that's not it at all. My heart is not we need a bigger budget. My heart is not we need to make budget. My heart has nothing to do with that. I just don't want to see you walking in bondage. I don't want to see you walking in fear. I don't want to see you walking scared. And when I read the promises that God has made in his word, what I see is the incredible promises that when we hand our stuff over to him, that he blesses us through it. So I hope, I hope, I hope that you leave encouraged, that you leave loved, that you don't leave frustrated, angry, upset, or what I know sermons and sermon series like this, they're fertile ground for the enemy to, to block out the things he doesn't want you to hear, to, to allow you to only hear what, what he wants to, to, to divide us. But my hope and my prayer this morning is that you were able to hear God's heart for you and your life this morning. All the money that the world could hold. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus. Then click on the About Us on the main menu. And then one last click on Our Campus Pastor. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we You are better than all these things.